Hello. Hello. That's a nice shirt you got there, Wyatt. Oh, thank you. It is my branded shirt. Mm-hmm. Branded with a thing that I think we both know a little bit about. <laughs> that, of course, is something to do with <laughs> audio media. And that is Super, Super Duperstitious, <laughs> the paranormal podcast about the signs of the strange. I'm Wyatt. I'm Jake. We're, We're going for it. Right We're not in. doing any warm ups. We're not zero warm ups. Catching up. We, we caught up a couple days ago. Who gives a shit? I don't know what you did the last few days, and I don't care. Who fucking cares? We're going to talk to you about some weird things, and we're going to talk to you about the science that might help us understand those weird things, and that's what we do every single week uh, that we have episodes, and this is one of those. Yeah, 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 as I'm uh, very happy to reassure you, if you're hearing our voices, we are indeed back in another (laughs) (laughs) episode. We have just gotten off of a small raft that we paddled. Uh, It only took us... About a week to yeah. get here. Worked out pretty well. Um, we paddled real hard. Paddled real hard. We're now on the east coast of Africa. Mm-hmm. In Kenya. Kenya. For the very last stop on our trek for August around, around the, world. the world. If this is your first time listening, uh, what's wrong with you? Also, welcome to the show. Um, <laughs> yes, as Jake has mentioned, we're in our fourth and final episode of a short run we do in August every year. And we are now in Kenya, where we will explore the local sights and sounds. Uh-oh. As it is an odd episode, I believe we should first thank a patron. <laughs> uh, and we'll do that using this machine, which I'll turn on right now. It's called the NCAAA. Specifically, it's Pander function that we built into it. It's a, a kind of haunted computer sort of thing. We use this particular function on it for the express purpose of calculating which cryptid, creature, monstery thing each and every one of our Patreon patrons individually needs to be on the lookout for. So we'll, it's now on, we'll plug it into the backs of our heads, we'll establish the mind link. There we go. Uh. (laughs) And uh, for this first one, we're going to be uh, focusing on Bridget M. Of County, County Wicklow. Bridget is living proof that air codes work. I'm not sure how many countries uh, there are where you could send someone a piece of mail without their entire last name and still have it arrive, no problem. So good on you, Ireland. Wow. Bridget, watch yourself because somewhere out there is... Spectre Moose. <laughs> My goodness, Bridget. This is a very large, heavy, white moose... Specifically from the state of Maine. Ooh. And is sort of an omen. I guess I'll say it right out of the gates. You living in Ireland puts you at a very good remove from potentially ever running into this. But if you ever decided to, I guess, visit my family at home in Maine, uh, you got you got mace to watch out for, specifically specter ones. In particular, if you ever get near Lobster Lake. I'm not positive I believe that's a real place. <laughs> it sounds just... 
it, it must sounds, be real. It it's being made downloaded directly into our brains from the dark ether. Yeah, I, I never know for sure if... Uh, what could be a more main lake? That's true. That's very true. I'm looking it up on Google. I mean, I'm looking it up in a different part of the... L-O-B-S-T-A-H. Lobster. <laughs> There's a lobster lake in Minnesota. Why would there be one? There also is one in northwest Piscataquis, Maine. Okay. Oh my god, there actually is one? There is one. And it's uh, actually just a little bit northeast of Moosehead Lake. Oh, I was up there. Hot diggity. I'm about to bag it up. I, re- <laughs> I realized after calling out Lobster Lake is sounding like a made-up, just generic main lake, that uh, Moosehead Lake also does, too. But I just it's true. don't bat an eye at that one. Once so. the pattern is exposed, <laughs> it is uh, embarrassing. Yeah. Uh, Bridget, we almost forgot about you. Yeah, yeah. so look out for that. <laughs> um, thank you so much for your support. Uh, if you would like your creature cryptid or otherwise ghoulish thing calculated by the pander function on the NCAA device mm-hmm. and spat into your ear holes by us, <laughs> you can have that happen by joining our Patreon at any tier. We have three. Each one's cooler than the last. And depending on where you start, that might make the least expensive tier the coolest one. So... <laughs> Uh, you have options, and as we're now desperately close to the end of August, we are recording this a little earlier than usual. Perhaps in the last week we've had a surge of um, unstoppable enthusiasm from our fan base. Maybe. And have closed the gap on 100 patrons for the month <laughs> of August, but assuming that has not happened and that we have stayed at our rate of about 0.3% of a fan a week. <laughs> right. Please do join. Yes. Things you can get, you can get the pander situation like this one. Actually, let's, let's, I'm gonna put the machine on pause again for now. There we go. Oh, so gross sounding. <laughs> uh, you also get monthly outtakes. Uh, you can get weekly minisodes, quarterly stickers, any timely merch discounts, all depending on the tier. And uh, you know, coming soon, uh, by popular demand, we're gonna have a Discord server. There you go. Channel, whatever the fuck they're called, there'll be a Discord. It's gonna be fun. Great place to connect and stuff. Uh, we'll, we'll tell you more about all these goodies later on when we thank another patron, but for now, please do consider helping us make the show. And you'll get a cool glass. Okay, so... <laughs> who cares anymore? Just kidding. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm seriously. Um, okay, so for my segment today, I'll be leaning very heavily on the work of Bob Gimlin, not that Bob Gimlin, the other Bob Gimlin, who is a person very much into primatology and cryptozoology and who creates very nicely made YouTube video clips, uh, including the one I'm about to quote heavily today. Say what, Jake? I remember this guy. Now, you showed me something of his before. He seems pretty neat. He's a neat guy. He, He does his homework. He clearly cares very much about making a compelling argument, no matter what he's talking about, and um, Mm -hmm. is... A sober-minded individual, even if he typically falls on the side of, um, you know, wanting wanting very much to believe, let's say. Yeah. And uh, anyway, I appreciate that. And I strongly encourage everyone listening to go listen to his stuff and support him as a creator and a fellow crypto nerd. Uh, in particular, because he basically did my homework for me today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we both, I think, have heard of the Nandy Bear. We have. Do you remember when we first heard of the Nandy Bear? I believe you mentioned it was because we did a patron appreciation, a pander dive. 
episode 81, we did a, a patron appreciation panda dive for my mom specifically. <laughs> oh, a Nandy for the, for, for the, mm. Kelly Andy. <laughs> I'll take it. Um, yeah. Um, so, so, uh, Bridget, if you find yourself in Maine, you're in trouble. Mom, you're in Maine. If you find yourself in uh, Kenya, you might be in trouble. And now we just need a Kenyan listener to get something from Ireland. Ireland. <laughs> We're good to go. <laughs> yep. The very first mention of the Nandy Bear that Bob could find is from the beginning of the 20th century in the Journal of East Africa and Uganda Natural uh, Natural History Society. I thought you said the first dimension of it. I was like, well, oh. height or which one are we going with first? I, yeah. This makes, this makes more sense now. <laughs> Taste in music. Um, <laughs> in addition, from 1910, the publication contains everything from native customs in regards to fishing, hunting, and cultivation. A catalog of artifacts found at sites that predate recorded history. A list of creatures that should be avoided. And... A relatively comprehensive directory of all the creatures living in what was then a still very remote place. Hmm. In this particular publication, now over a century old, there is mention of a rash of sightings of a creature that remains uncatalogued to this day. And that is the nanny bear, or as the locals call it, chemosit. These sightings were recorded in the journal by a British administrator named C.W. Hobley, who lived in Kenya. At the time, Hobley writes that he was unable uh, that he was able to accumulate a considerable amount of evidence, which all goes to show that some curious beast does exist. Huh. The following are descriptions of the encounters that he compiled from that place and that time. Uh-huh. All the locations mentioned seem to be focused within western Kenya, where the Great Rift Valley meets the water systems of Lake Victoria. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hobley writes that a British major who dwelled in western Kenya, then known as the Rift Valley in West Kenya, was alerted to an unidentified creature at dusk. The major rushed outside to see a, quote, strange creature rapidly fading into the landscape. He only saw it for a moment, but he describes it as possessing long hair low to the ground, only 20 inches or knee high, and bulky in stature. And he said it had no tail. Mm-hmm. The major made a uh, particular note of this because only a few days earlier, some travelers from the Netherlands came through and mentioned that they didn't know that there were any bears living in Africa. Mm-hmm. The major, of course, said there were no bears in Africa, but the travelers insisted that their dogs chased a small bear into some thick brush and that the dogs returned soon afterwards, obviously repelled by their quarry. Mm-hmm. They said the, quote, bear was thick-set, and during its altercation with the dogs, it made a, quote, peculiar moaning cry. It's gross. <laughs> the year before that, an engineer working on the Magodi railway system states that he found tracks which he could not identify. The tracks followed a cart path that had been carved through the grass. He said the prints were rectangular but curved inward along the middle on either side. And he said it had five oblong toes, each with a short claw mark at the end. The next encounter comes from a district commissioner known only as Neff Corbett. Corbett said he was walking downstream of his farm to go fishing when he stumbled upon the creature. He was on a ledge overhanging a river and the creature was by the water. Apparently, 
They surprised each other, and the creature ambled into the water, swam across the river, and passed directly into the thick brush on the opposite side. Corbett writes, I went a little downstream to fish, and to my surprise, I walked right into a beast. It was evidently drinking just below me a yard away. I only noticed it when I heard something shamble across the stream into the bush. The place was overgrown, and I was without my specs, so could not get a very good view. But I'm certain that it was a beast I have never seen before. It had thick, reddish-brown hair with a slight streak of white down the hind quarters, rather long from hack to foot, rather bigger than a hyena with large ears. Rather, <laughs> rather bigger than a hyena and with large ears. <laughs> I did not see the head properly. It did not see. Uh, it did seem to be a rather heavily built animal. The annoying thing is that I had been uh, past exactly the same place an hour before with my gun after a duck, and when I returned, had nothing but my fishing rod, which I hold. He could have just <laughs> cast cast that line out there, <laughs> grabbed that thing, reeled it in. <laughs> A railway engineer known as G.W. Hicks was traveling on a motor trolley uh, traveling at 20 miles an hour when he saw what at first he thought was a hyena. He said he thought it was strange to see a hyena so late in the heat of the day as, typically, they are creatures of dawn and dusk. But as the trolley brought him closer, the creature changed direction, giving view its broadside, and the engineer saw that it wasn't a hyena at all. He said it was close in height to a lion, though not as long, and much thicker. And, unlike a lion, it had a short neck that sloped down. It had withers, or shoulder blades, that rose high above the head and rear. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) It had withers, or shoulder blades, that rose high above the head and rear. And it, uh, it had a short, pugged nose. He said its color was tawny. It had shaggy long hair and a mane like a lion. He said the feet were large and covered in black mud, as that afternoon had brought relief from a morning downpour. He said the front was markedly bigger than the rear. He said that as it dashed off, it moved both forelegs and then both hind legs at the same time, much like a galloping rabbit. He said it had short but round ears, and it didn't have a tail. Hicks said that he had his 350 Rigby, which is a gun, inside the trolley, but was traveling too fast to have retrieved it and gotten off a shot. He said that had it been any other day, he would have stopped the trolley and pursued it, but the rain of that wet season had washed out numerous rail tracks, so he was pressed for time. There was work to be done. He returned that evening, but it was raining again, and the grass now contained standing water, so there was no sense in attempting to track whatever he'd seen. He asked around to see if anyone else had viewed such a creature and around, uh, wound up talking with a young, the young son of a Dutchman uh, who said that he saw the described creature earlier um, but hadn't thought anything of it as all creatures of Kenya were pretty much new to him. <laughs> <laughs> Hicks said that the boy picked a picture of a bear from an illustrated kid's book saying it shared a greater likeness than any description he could find in an official field guide. So, so far, how are we doing on this, Jake? Berenstain, Nandy Bear. Mm. Uh, the book that they used. That's all you got. That's all you got. <laughs> uh, no, it's cool. It's, it's, um, I do like how it's a very grounded kind of account of an animal. Kind of like with the previous episode where you had it. It just sounds like an animal. Back-to-back uh, animal type episodes. 
Hicks also spoke with an indigenous trader who claimed to see the same thing on a walking path. He said the creature stood up on its hind legs and looked at the man before running off. Still on its hind legs, just like jogging away. <laughs> yeah. Um, exactly. Hicks was contacted by an Italian subcontractor who claimed to see an identical creature on the same trolley line about 29 miles before the location of Hicks sighting. To be clear, Hobley recorded Hicks sighting in the three sightings that Hicks recorded himself. Mm-hmm. Hobley writes that, quote, There is a certain variation, but that is to be expected, as he is obviously under the impression that there is an unclassified species as opposed to simply one creature. In fact, he said, he heard tell that some time ago, a boer, which is a European settler, shot and killed one of these creatures, and the story contained a very specific location. Mm -hmm. However, Hobley could not find a body when he investigated the area himself some months later. Although that's maybe to be expected, as Mm -hmm. Bob notes, uh, particularly in Africa. A lot of things eating a lot of other things. Yes, indeed. Hobley concludes by saying, My only hope is that it may fall into the hands of someone who will measure and photograph it and preserve its skin and skeleton for description by a qualified zoologist. Hmm. And that statement kind of sums up why this particular cryptid case uh, is so intriguing. Yeah, There's little to nothing in the sightings and stories that alleges that the creature is anything short of a mid to large sized creature that has yet to be classified. Mm-hmm. This was almost 110 years ago in a place that even today is still pretty wild and ecologically dense and rich enough to support uh, megafauna. Yeah. None of the reports are particularly dramatic. None of the encounters are fantastic exploits that would garner excessive attention or prestige. And none of the encounters really describe some kind of bloodthirsty threat to mankind. Yeah. Uh, Every time, the creature saunters off. But of course, the notion of the nanny bear being a shy creature... Uh, quickly disappeared. Prestigious medical journal, The Lancet, of all things, wrote in 1914, we brought up The Lancet before, talking about medical mysteries, that, quote, stories in regard to the animal do not agree, except in this, that it is fairly large, stands on its hind legs, is nocturnal, very fierce, and kills men or animals. (laughs) Uh, Bob could not find one account before... Uh, that article's publication in 1914 that supports those claims. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> Other than that it can stand on its hind legs and that yeah. it's fairly large. So, how did it become so frightening? Well, there is yet one other take to consider. An Ooh. English linguist and historian with the last name Huntingford writes in the Journal of the Royal Anthropological Institute of Great Britain and Ireland in 1927 about the chemoset. Huntingford also writes that the Nandi culture agree that it is larger than the largest hyena, has long red hair, and leaves long-footed tracks. And he notes that there is a debate among the Nandi about whether it more resembles a hyena or a gorilla. Hmm. But they agree that the victims of the chemo set are always found scalped. Whoa. A gruesome thing, and one that Bob feels is very chimpanzee-like. Ah. Huntingford also writes about, if you don't know out there, chimpanzees are... Horrifically violent when they want to be. And yeah, they're bloodthirsty they will often monsters. Hurt you. <laughs> yep. They they are known to brutalize, not just mm. kill. Huntingford also writes about a British district officer named Mr. Cumberpatch. Not to be mistaken with some other guy. Yeah, some other guy. 
with Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> um, this one comes from East Kenya in a region known as the Tana River Delta. The district officer, officer spoke with some German missionaries who were on their way to a village inhabited by people of the Pokemo tradition. The German missionaries returned soon after, saying that when they reached their destination, they found it abandoned. Hmm. Cumberpatch writes that he was skeptical of the German missionary story, and he thought they failed to find it. So he investigated himself. He found that, indeed, the Pocomo settlement had been abandoned, and the residents had fled to a larger settlement down the river. He traveled there and asked why they had left, and they said that their settlement had been accosted by what they had called the Coduello. They described the Coduello as a giant baboon, man-sized, if not larger. Wow. They said it walks on four legs, but can rear up on two, just like a baboon. Oh, yeah, and three legs at night. They described it as very fierce and brazen. The Pocomo people said that once it learns what it can get away with, it only escalates, which is one, curiously descriptive, and two, an appropriate description of primate behavior. True. Cumberpatch seemed to be impressed by this particular account, most obviously because inhabitants of that village truly abandoned their fertile settlement, and because, he writes, the Pocomo culture in particular is not known for being, quote, overly imaginative or tightly strung. Hmm. Cumberpatch in 1911 wrote, quote, It is possible that there is some undiscovered anthropoid beast in the dense bush found in the Tana Valley. Interesting. Now, to be clear, this tidbit on the Coduello is not historically associated with the Nandi Bear, but it is from a different part of the country with a distinct culture and language. So whether or not the sightings are related, it makes sense that the descriptor, uh, descriptions and verbiage would vary to some degree, he, right. he notes. And that is pretty much the core record of the Nandy Bear. It's a set of accounts largely confined to between 1900 and 1925. Bob stresses again, and I agree, that the initial reports are particularly enjoyable simply because there really wasn't anything overly fanciful about them. Yeah. Uh, essentially zoological. People are seeing some animal that they just do not yet recognize. So, as ever, what are we talking about here? Bob breaks it down with a sort of summation of the descriptions from the major sightings. We know whatever this creature is possessed long hair, was low to the ground, bulky in stature, maybe only 20 inches off the ground, however, or about knee height, thick-set, small bear-type looking thing that makes peculiar moaning cries. Forgot about that part. Uh, possessing thick reddish-brown hair. <laughs> It sounds like they're just describing me. <laughs> With a slight streak of white down the hindquarters, rather long from head to toe, somewhat bigger than a hyena, despite being maybe 20 inches or so off the ground. That's the part I don't understand is the conflicting kind of size situation. Yeah, there's some discrepancies here, which could be a matter of perspective, and it also is a matter of maybe we're just forcing all these stories together to, to work here. We could argue that the engineer, again named Hicks, who saw the creature from the rail trolley, may have had the best view of anyone, and he said that it was about the height of a lion, which is quite a bit taller than 20 inches, uh, though not as long and much thicker, short neck that sloped down, short pug nose, tawny in color, shaggy long hair, uh, big old feet, <laughs> and moved its front and rear legs in unison. That is to say, the two front at once and then the two rear. Especially moving all four legs at the same time. Just yeah. All four. Just just like, <laughs> leapt. <laughs> dish, dish. 
Um, what do we think we're looking at? Does this call to mind any kind of creature that you know of? Well, when we first covered this for just the panda segment ages ago, I immediately thought, oh, it's just uh, someone misidentifying a hyena. But then it's frequently in these accounts compared to a hyena. Right. By people, by people who know what a hyena looks like. It's really interesting that they, with all these different animals to draw from, they still say, oh, it's no, it's something different. Right. I do like the idea that, I mean, again, these may be a bunch of unrelated stories that are being uh, attributed to the same thing. Mm-hmm. I do like the idea of, uh, mentioning like the scalping and, like, and the weird baboon thing, like it being some kind of primate situation because there is a lot of that around and um, it would be something, especially if it's in a region that they're not usually seen in, it would be a surprising kind of uh, thing to see and might make its general um, look, I don't know, not expected, right. not... Uh, easily compared to other stuff i don't know I mean, still though i would imagine people would know like oh it looked like an ape or something it looked like a monkey but it's hard to say i don't know what do you think indeed well i like i like the suite of ideas here and i'll just take us through them just since these have all come up in various accounts mm-hmm. one suggested explanation is a honey badger which is ah, uh, that's a good one it's a good one it's definitely on the smaller end Honey badgers definitely look bear-like, and they're certainly ferocious. Oh, yeah. But they are quite small, after all. They're maybe a little larger than a house cat. I still wouldn't mess with it. No. They are <laughs> perhaps the most ferocious creature pound for pound on the planet. <laughs> <laughs> but it could it could be one. There are also aardvarks around in that area. Kind of the big ears. Exactly. Big ears, but very snouty. Hmm creatures uh bob makes the good point that aardvarks at the time were described as common hairy ant bears so the word bear was thrown around a ton at the time to describe things well if you have a lot of german missionaries around too you think about how everything every animal in germany is either some kind of mouse some kind of bear or some kind of pig it's a bunch of uh, (laughs) portmanteaus of something else and that it's so true but at the time, people also knew what aardvarks were, even if right. they called them com- common hairy ant bears. There's also the idea that they were, like you just mentioned, seeing hyenas. There are four species of hyena in Africa, of which three occur around Kenya. I do think that a common hairy ant bear is a pretty good um, insult to call somebody as well. You common hairy ant bear. You chab. <laughs> <laughs> But Bob also notes that social, uh, spotted hyenas, which would be the largest um, mm-hmm. and maybe the most bear-like, are super social. They're the most social carnivore we know terrestrially. Mm. And it'd be kind of weird to just see one-offs roaming around. Right. They said it had long hair. Is that correct? The, yes, uh, long, shaggy hair. Could it be a, uh, a, what's called brown hyenas? What are the ones that are? That's, I think, the one species that does not occur in that area. But that's a uh. good look. Brown hyenas are quite shaggy mm-hmm. and very cute. There is the living fossil angle, which I don't buy so much, but I do like mm-hmm. that Dinopithecus, which is... Some kind of uh, hominid ancestor? It is It is a baboon ancestor. Oh, okay. They Pithecus were a giant baboon, essentially. They're now extinct. Ooh, I like these um, illustrations. Very intense. Here, let me send you... I'm looking at a bunch of them. Wow. Oh, really? Nice. Yeah. 
I just Google image searched. It says, it's all. Oh, cool. I'll see what, which one you sent. It's probably even more. This would have matched the description. Boy, that's big. I always thought baboons are pretty good size, but that's like standing on all fours about human height. <laughs> good yeah, God. Yeah, terrifying. Dinopithecus, terrible ape. The ter- a terrible ape. Pithecus threw me off because baboons are monkeys and uh, not apes, but... Indeed, correct. But hand in hand with this, there are the uh, 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 <laughs> Theropithecus, which we know as gelata. That's uh, Italian ice cream, right? Yes. <laughs> so Theropithecus are essentially very baboon-like monkeys as well. Here we go. I'm going to try and send you, I guess... A link to a Google image search. <laughs> Not helpful. I also like that the uh, thumbnail for the thing you sent me of Dinopithecus is just the image of a um, Brachiosaurus skull. <laughs> Very <laughs> that, different. That website is dope. Prehistoricwildlife.com. It's oh, like yeah, all the out. craziest prehistoric creatures. Nice. Well, these are pretty fun. I never really knew what these were called, but yeah, they are uh, interesting. They look a bit... Gelatas. They look kind of like somewhere between a baboon and a mandrill, but with a very like shaggy mane going on. I don't know. Now, an interesting thing about Therapithecus is, I believe it's Therapithecus oswaldi, was a larger ancestor, or at least now extinct species of Therapithecus, that they have found like a mass gravesite of this particular species of Therapithecus. Hmm. And they believe that Homo erectus back in the day, which is an extinct hominid, mm-hmm. uh, came into direct conflict with these guys and probably was know. calling them or at, at a certain age because the uh, the uh, individuals in this grave site all look to have only developed so far. So they were maybe being killed off at like a sub-adult stage or something like this. Interesting. Yeah. So, And this would have been a larger kind of gelata than what we see today but i do like gelata as a possible culprit yeah perhaps on the larger end of whatever exists today yeah and they have apparently the most complex vocal structures of all non-human primates so interesting very capable of making peculiar moaning cries (laughs) quite social quite intelligent gelata it may be social that would make it more unlikely to see them the one-offs though right indeed i i think that is true so you take it as you can but uh that's what i got well very interesting i appreciate that very much that was very cool very a uh, lot more than i realized there would be to that uh, particular story indeed and i i liked it a lot that's two weeks in a row you got me with some stuff that i that makes me good just go huh hey you know what i'm i'm trying to make you go hmm so Let's see. Let's talk about a beer place. Let's talk about a beer place. What can be said? It may only be two days later, but uh, it's, I already got an email for next week. <laughs> which is now this week. Uh, this, of course, being from Four Phantoms, which has been upgraded, they tell me, oh. uh, to still a subsidiary of the Four Phantoms International Microbrewery family of Four Phantoms. <laughs> Don't know how that works. Doesn't matter. Uh, let's see. So, yep, they're good with what we did last week, yesterday, two days ago, or whatever. And in that spirit, <laughs> I will do it again. Great. Uh, which is to say, Four Phantoms, 
the only brewery in western Massachusetts at least, and as far as I know the world, to successfully combine the flavors mm. of heavy metal, the smells of Dungeons and Dragons, <laughs> and the substance of beer to make beer. If you are in, around, or otherwise adjacent to Western Mass, you could meet four phantoms in person. They will be pouring beer at beautiful Pine Hill Orchards on Sunday. Excuse me. (laughs) On Saturday, September 4th from 11 to 4. There's another email. Go there to look down on cider (laughs) with live music and live food from pine hills food truck not sure if that means that the food truck provides both but i know it will provide fried dough make sure to tell four phantoms how much you dislike artifact cider yes talk as much shit as you can about artifact (laughs) cider they have no affiliation nope and are not the master cider maker for that company (laughs) and as came down from the very top. This is actually this time the email was signed by the president of Four Phantoms. Joe Biden. Joe Biden. <laughs> I wasn't gonna give his identity away, but there it is. Maybe it's a code name. Old uh convoy shades himself writes that the best decision anyone can make right now is to buy a Four Phantoms Taproom membership. There's literally no other decision to make whatsoever for a hundred dollars you could get discounts pride power first dibs on new releases and brew parties mm-hmm. let us not forget the four of phantoms tap room is but days away from opening a very exciting prospect i'll be there i won't jake won't be there twice the perks <laughs> <laughs> you'll get a dope pint glass if you can't make it there if you want to still support them another way, you can go to their untapped page, leave a nice review for the beer, uh, sudden scene, beer on drunk, just to boost their stats because it's a nice thing to do. And if you mention us in any way, uh, we will read that review on the show. There you have it. Back to that show. Jake, what did you find in your roamings and ramblings about this land we call Kenya? Well, I found some cool stuff, but uh, before I get to it, you know, speaking of phantoms, and given what we learned last time while looking at the untapped page for for phantoms, I think it might be worthwhile to indulge in another update on the Phantom of the Chicago. Whoa. You truly have a short segment today. (laughs) I do. This is your first time listening, or if you've taken up the understandable habit of blacking out during the portions of our episodes when I talk, the Phantom of the Chicago is the one and only official name for the phenomenon of giant, humanoid, bat-like creatures, often with glowing red eyes, flying through the skies of the Chicagoland area. Been going on in earnest for four damned years now, and it first came to my attention while researching episode two of this show. Mm. Listeners to our bonus Patreon and mini-shows will already be sick of this, but the source today is Manuel Navarrete of UFO Clearinghouse. Uh, my reason for including an update today is because there was, at least at the time of recording this, an update just a couple days ago. And it uh, is f- a follow-up to a report from back in July. Hmm. This particular follow-up isn't as interesting. I'm actually going to skip over it because it's just kind of reiterating a thing that we saw before. But it's, um at least ostensibly, an independent like kind of confirmation of an account that happened back in July. 
Like what? a different wit- a different witness to the same event giving their kind of take on the story. Also, I'll put a link to it. It's less interesting than the second part, which I'll read. This is the original one from July that I don't think I covered, which is a little bit more exciting. It all happened at oh, oh why is getting sucked into a fan uh, into a, a a lamp? Oh, he's better. Oh, okay, good. Uh, <laughs> this all happened at uh, O'Hare International Airport uh, late at night. O'Hare. O'Hare. Um, so this is this is what happened roughly a month ago. It said I was walking to my car with two of my friends after getting off of work. We were thinking we we're talking about the day and how it felt good to get off and head home. Gross. <laughs> As we approached the car, I saw something moving across the street, but on the other side of the fence. It was dark, but you could easily see it as the entire area was lit up and there was a plane that had been brought up near the fence for unloading slash loading. There was a lot of activity around the plane. Okay. As we walked, I pointed out to my friends and they all saw the same thing. About this time, a white SUV came driving up with its emergency flashing lights on and came to a halt on the road on the other side of the fence. Two men jumped out and shone some flashlights on this person, prompting this person to turn around and stare at them. They looked to be about six to seven feet tall and very dark. Sixty-seven feet tall. Six, between six and seven feet tall. Oh, okay. And a very dark shade of gray, almost black. They had what looked like two large glowing red eyes. But that could have been from the flashlights being shined in their direction. About ten seconds after the first vehicle arrived, another came up on the same side of the fence as this person and illuminated the person with its headlights. I remember hearing my friend say, Lord have mercy, as we watched the scene <laughs> unfold in front of us. It's about this time the person opened up what looked like a pair of giant bat wings and flew up into the air. <laughs> As this thing flew up and over the people that were now gathered around, it let out a loud screech that sounded like uh sounded a lot like why <laughs> it's miming all this happening, which is great. That a lot like train brakes or the brakes from a large truck. Hmm. It flew around a large in a large circle twice, screeching, and then flew out over the fence and toward the runways and the terminals in the distance. Wow. As we watched, a white pickup truck with a TSA emblem came up toward us with his emergency lights on and told us and the others who had gathered in the parking lot to clear out and get in our cars and leave the area immediately. Whoa. We did as we were told, and as we drove out of the parking lot, we saw another three marked vehicles and just as many unmarked vehicles pulled into the street and parking lot, all with our lights on. Took my friends home, and we talked extensively about it. One of my friends who worked the later shift at United told me that airport security and TSA were in the area and asking people who stepped outside to please go back in for their safety and were out there for at least an hour to an hour and a half. I did some research and came across a podcast where you had been the guest and got your information. And that's the end of this report. To wow. UFO Clearinghouse. <laughs> a much more intriguing structure to the... Phantom of the Chicago report style. Yes. Much more bracing, much more intense and exciting, I will say. And now we have a, a subsequent report that came out just a few days ago that was of the same event, seen from a different vantage point. Not as exciting because they weren't as close. They could just see there was commotion going on and saw a little bit of motion of something flying off but didn't really see what it was. But Wow. I will say, if you live in the Chicago area and you do whatever these people are doing... Please, God, Work at the bring your fucking smartphone. We now live in an era where <laughs> I started to see anything like this happening. That would be the first thing I would do. Yes. Take my smartphone out and record it. Uh-huh. The uh, the more recent um, report 
did say that they took their phone to take pictures, but by then it had already flown off. They didn't get a chance. They just flew off in the dark. Tragic. They were further away. Wouldn't have gotten as much. The Now, both did send a bunch of pictures in with their story, but it's just a bunch of pictures of the area where they were at night. When it happened, you can I see do the plane. Like that. I mean, I will say, I, I understand conceptually, if yeah. I were to experience something like this, sure, you'd be like shocked. You might not think the first thing to do would be to grab your phone. You'd be like, I need to like run away. Mm. But uh, that's that's where wow normal people and scientists differ. I guess that's right. We're like, ooh, let's collect some data. I wish there were like a way you could hook your phone up onto like a a panic switch where you could just like squeeze like a panic trigger and it would yeah. begin recording. Like I just had my phone like strapped to my chest, <laughs> right there, sort of like Iron Man style. <laughs> If only Google Glass had caught on, we could all. I know. Okay, Google, record scary thing. <laughs> the last words you say. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's what I got for the fandom situation for this. Very week. cool. Decidedly not Kenya, but yes. For my actual segment today, I'm going to begin by talking about a lake known as Simbi Nayaima. In the Luo dialect, it means the sunken village. Ooh, in Kenyan, spooky. Yeah, in Kenya, there are a number of folk tales designed to teach us lessons or simply to tell us the story of how a place came to be or to describe the happenings in a specific place. Uh, there is a story of Kialo and Mwilu that defines a magnetic hill in Machakos. There is the tale of Naese and how she led the first Turkana people into the area named after them. Then there's the narrative of the village that submerged under a massive body of water in Homa Bay. Hmm. This is all coming to us from uh, palkwa.or.ke. Mm-hmm. Within Homa Bay County uh, um, is Karachuanyo constituency, where one may find the serene, picturesque Simbi Nyayama Lake. It's not far from Kendu Bay, which is one of the area's access points into Lake Victoria. Yet it is in no way linked to the larger lake. Look at the map. It's very close to Lake Victoria, or so it seems, but uh, it's not connected. Hmm. In fact, Simbi Nyayama sits awkwardly but quietly with a few scattered trees on its shoreline. There have been reports previously compiled by geologists hmm. that suggest the reason for the scattered vegetation around the area is because of earthquakes that frequently happened centuries ago. Huh. One too many volcanic eruptions created a crater lake that locals would give the name Simbi Nyayama. But hmm. you dare not share this with one of the Homa Bay denizens because they'd have a folktale to share with you. You see, Simbi Nyayama is... A name that reminds some of the village that sunk. It is said that this village was one that enjoyed celebration with music, food, and drink in abundance almost every night. On one of these festivities, a strange woman arrived seeking a warm meal and a place to lay her head for the night. In traditional tellings, she most often appears as a peasant, what with her tattered clothes that were covered in dust. Mm. The chief was informed of a stranger hoping to be welcomed into the village, but he sent her away. My only guess being because he didn't want anyone to ruin his vibe. Uh, she pleaded once more, but these cries fell upon deaf ears. Uh, he said that no one should take her in. She just said, got to get out of there. So when she could no longer, uh, she just gave up. She, she went back the way she came. Hmm. In that same area was a young woman who overheard the woman's humble request and felt compassion for her. The young woman secretly invited the stranger into her home and shared with her food and provided her a place to sleep. Stranger promised to leave before dawn so that no one would see her and the woman wouldn't get in trouble. When morning came, but the skies were still dark, she thanked her host, and before she left, she warned the young woman to leave the village. Mm. The stranger said she would send the heaviest rains the village would see, and there was no telling what the outcome would be. She was like, 
Thinner. <laughs> After this, she left. True enough, a few days later, it rained and rained and rained, flooding the entire village. It kept raining until eventually the entire village sank beneath the waters. Ooh. These waters, now called Simbi Naima Lake, are not just a tourist attraction presently, they are also a haven for flamingos that fly in from lakes within the Rift Valley. How terrifying! <laughs> some of the residents of the area also believe that this lake has some medicinal and nourishing benefits, as some drink from or bathe in the water and find themselves cured of a variety of ailments. Horrible. <laughs> this is one of a few fun lake-based parables that I came across. And Classic lake-based parables. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and one of several that described the lakes having a magical origin and magical properties. Mm. Uh, others involve more cursed type situations. Uh, there was one I really liked that had a whole bunch of different supernatural stories tied to it, but it's in Tanzania, so didn't work. Damn. Lake Victoria is, of course, huge and nearby and full of all kinds of cool history and science, but doesn't quite fulfill the specific agenda I also had for myself for today. Ooh. Uh, the Great Rift Valley is a geologically and ecologically amazing place. And the rift aspect of it means that there's a decent amount of volcanic activity mm. uh, as far as the earth kind of splitting open there. You get some weird stuff going on. Mm-hmm. When you combine that with a body of water, you get some lakes with some really interesting properties. Uh, Simbi Nyayama, for example, has a whole lot of dissolved minerals in its waters. That's part of what people say it has like healing properties. Various lakes have some degree of geothermal goings on as well. All of this, hmm. of course, is my flimsy excuse to talk about Lake Natron. Oh, what's that? Oh, you don't know about Lake Natron. Oh, this is good then. All right. Sounds like Voltron, kind of. <laughs> yes. You might have seen these pictures a few years ago, but located on the border of Tanzania and Kenya, Lake Natron is what people a few years ago very excitedly like to call... I, was, I got pictures I'll send to you. Don't worry. Is it what they like to call a mineral-rich mineral soda lake? <laughs> yes, but also people like to call it the lake that turns animals to stone. What the... <laughs> F. Thanks in large part to a series of really cool photos by Rick Brandt. So here I'm going to share these with you. Oh, God. What are you seeing? What? I am seeing one of the aforementioned jolly flamingos now <laughs> very dead. Exceptionally dead. They're describing it as calcified. Hard mm-hmm. to tell. It's a black and white image. Uh, oh, God. Now we've got a bat sort of really uh, artistically shot with some sort of thorny acacia or something around it mm-hmm. so it's framed in the thorns really dramatizing the fact that it is so dead <laughs> let's see what else we have a frogmouth looking bird yep that is also so very dead looking perched on a rock also artfully posed yes by this lake i feel like this guy set these things up he did and he was not coy about it he just said that he did but uh Another a bird perched it on is, a branch. The, a bird perch is also super dead. They're they're so dead. Oh God! This eagle is very cool looking. An eagle, very cool looking, mummified looking. Oh yeah, creatures looking as though they have died and become instantly mummified. Yes, um, that one. And a but dove. they also the way they've been staged look as though they just died in the course of their day. Right. And they have one more that looks like a dove. Yes. So, this, I think, is what gave rise to a lot of speculation about, like, oh, this is a whole big deal, like, oh, scary, uh, friggin', it's, it turns Kill things you on into, sight. Yes. Sci-fi original come to life. Totally. And that's only because of just people not reading anymore, they're just seeing the pictures and be like, oh, no, not realizing, oh, no, he just set them up that way. Mm-hmm. 
The water of the lake is pretty inhospitable, though. It has a pH as high as 10.5, and it's so caustic it can burn the skin and eyes of animals that aren't adapted to it. As a reminder, on the pH scale, 7 is neutral. Stuff below it is acidic. Stuff above it is alkaline, and the scale itself is logarithmic. So, in other words, each time you shift by one number on the scale, such as from 7 to 8, the acidity or alkalinity changes by a factor of 10. That means that Lake Natron is over a thousand times more alkaline than neutral water. Holy crap. Uh, the lake can also reach temperatures as high as 60 degrees Celsius, 140 degrees Fahrenheit. So again, Ugh. not a comfy place to be. Good place to do your laundry. <laughs> yes. But it's not just instantly killing animals that enter it and turning them to stone. Uh, the water's alkalinity comes from the sodium carbonate and other minerals that flow into the lake from the surrounding hills. And deposits of sodium carbonate, which was once used in Egyptian mummification, also acts as a fantastic type of preservative for those animals unlucky enough to die in the waters of Lake Natron. Natron hmm. itself is another word for sodium carbonate, and it indeed is one hell of a preservative. As part of the whole process of, mummi- of mummification back in ancient Egypt, they would, uh, I think, pack the, uh, after they removed the organs, put them in canopic jars, they would pack the body cavity with natron, cover them with natron, that would suck most of the moisture out pretty much right away. And uh, so mummification, a lot of it happened naturally in the desert too, but uh, but they mm. they kind of got ahead of the game there and did all this to it as well. Natron does, uh, it does that work. Wow. So despite some, some media reports, the animals didn't simply turn to stone and die after coming into contact with the lake's water. In fact, Lake Natron's alkaline waters support a thriving ecosystem of salt marshes, freshwater wetlands, Flamingos and other wetland birds, tilapia, and the algae on which large flocks of flamingos feed. Hmm. Um, so Nick Brandt captured haunting images of the lake and is dead in a book entitled Across the Ravaged Land. Brandt discovered the remains of flamingos and other animals with chalky sodium carbonate deposits outlining their bodies in sharp relief. Quote, mm. I unexpectedly found the creatures, all manner of birds and bats, washed up along the shoreline of Lake Natron, Brandt wrote in his book. No one knows for certain exactly how they die, but the water has an extremely high soda and salt content, so high that it would strip the ink off my Kodak film boxes within a few seconds. Wow. I took these creatures as I found them on the shoreline and then placed them in living positions, bringing them quote, back to life, as it were, Brant uh, wrote. Referring to the way as he represented the animals. Yeah. Reanimated, alive again in death. Ugh. Uh, and the fact that they're black and white pictures, too, makes it look, I mean, you get a lot more of the contrast of uh, yeah. just the lighting. And it also does make them look even more turned to stone because you don't see the fact that they do still have colors to them. They're just very right. no, kind it's of a good salty. Move. Yeah, it's, it's very cool picture. It's just when yeah. you ignore the context of it, it makes it seem much scarier than it is. Right. Uh, during breeding season, more than 2 million lesser flamingos, Phenicopterus minor, use the shallow lake as their primary breeding ground in Africa. So like I mentioned that the, the previous lake I mentioned, uh, um, it mm. was a place for a lot of flamingos just in this part of the Rift Valley just kind of cruise from lake to lake, and this is one of the most important uh, breeding grounds for them. The flamingos' nests are built on small islands that form in the lake during the dry season, and uh, the kind of like hostility of the lake does also kind of keep them safe from some kind of predators that you know don't want to get all involved with that, so mm-hmm. it's a good place to be a flamingo. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's it's a cool as hell lake, though not quite as spooky as folks were led to believe, and it's one of the myriad reasons that this whole region rules. Hell yeah, and that, and that that's all I've got. <laughs> Super cool! Oh my gosh, I did not know about that lake. I'm trying to think if I even saw those pictures when oh. they were released. 
I think I might have some kind of bell for me. Yeah, I think I might have seen him like before. a. I might have seen him like a cracked article once a long time ago, like scary places on earth. I don't know, but yeah, neat. And uh, I was excited to when I realized, oh, actually, part of the lake is in Kenya. I'm gonna find a reason to talk about Lake Natron. <laughs> I love it. Um, that was awesome. I guess now we have to walk up to the pander device. <laughs> The pander device to run the pander function. <laughs> the NCAA device, excuse right, I'm sorry. you. Yes, 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 yes. Let us take it out of stasis. There it goes. You know the drill now. We're doing the same thing we did before. We're going to calculate shit for present. And the second piece of specific patron thanks we want to dole out this week goes to none other than Ooh, Jonathan Notek, bad boy of the show. Oh, Everyone who is vaccinated and safe to travel should consider booking a trip to Chicago at the earliest possible convenience and checking out prohibitiontours.com and chicagopizzatours.com for a genuinely delightful time or two. While they do that, Jonathan should look out for Beaver Run <laughs> Run Snow Gator. Wow. Those sound like four different things you need to look out for, <laughs> but it is one thing. Yes. Lauren Coleman's involved in this one, so... Oh, boy. Uh, one of the 13 founders of cryptozoology. Who are what? the other 12? <laughs> yeah. John, if you're ever in Westmoreland County, of what uh, look out for a five-foot-long alligator. <laughs> yeah. In the snow. Uh, it's got 25-mile shoreline. It's a primary source of drinking water provided by the authority to more than 125,000 customers. And it's a 5,000-acre parcel in Bell, Salem, and Washington townships. Again, what state? What state? What state? Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. <laughs> It's in the country of Pennsylvania, USA. There we go. Yes. <laughs> I would just stay away from Beaver Run Reservoir, as they've <laughs> described it here in this download. Although you can be reassured that the possible population is small. Yes. And that, uh, you know, if they're around in the winter like this when there's snow, they will die. <laughs> it's too Even cold. Even a crocodile or an alligator. Maybe they can sustain themselves a little bit by sticking their nose out and getting cold or something, whatever they do. Don't they do that? Something like I, this. I don't know. Uh, Eric Levis, spokesman for the Fish and Boat Commission, says, Jonathan, obviously stay away from it if you see it. <laughs> uh, yeah. The word Jonathan was in brackets, but the rest of it was verbatim. It's no joke. Uh-huh. Bear in mind that it's fine right now, but as it gets cold at night and over days of cold temperature, this creature cannot last and it will eventually die if it is not captured it won't take long <laughs> so i think you're probably fine you can wait it out oh god that's a weird caricature of lauren coleman why is he so all over this page i don't know this is the least mysterious thing ever it's just an alligator it's a freaking alligator a, it's a goddamn alligator sitting around in pennsylvania who cares uh. Will this five-foot-long alligator lurking in the 25-mile-long reservoir hurt someone? No, it won't. <laughs> it won't even hurt you, John. You're fine. You could probably You're take fine. this alligator. We might re-enter you. I think the pander device f misfired for the first time ever. <laughs> <laughs> Watch out for alien, alien sightings, sightings of, of Portugal. Portugal. <laughs> this is a list of alleged sightings of aliens in Portugal. And... If I'm understanding the device correctly, you don't have to worry about the aliens in Portugal. You need to look out for the list of alien sightings of Portugal. Jonathan, as you might already know, this includes 1957, 
1990 and references. And references. <laughs> uh, Portugal Air Force pilots in 57. Uh, Brownie uh, saw and chased some UFOs. They, oh, God, uh, Jake, wait. What? This itself is the thing he needs to avoid. Oh, God, you're right. The list. The list itself. Why did we ever rerun the analyzer? <laughs> it's even more Fools. perilous than before. We've gone from the least perilous to the most perilous possible thing for John. Jonathan, we're sorry to put you in so much danger. Thank you for supporting us. On Thank Patreon. you very much. Oh, my gosh. We, we dearly appreciate it. And we appreciate your friendship. Yeah. Um, the rest of you, if, if you aren't already on board, you gotta do it. Now you're gonna like it if you do. So many cool things coming your way, and if you're one of the first 100, especially if we get to the end of August, friggin' get goddamn beer glass, tulip glass, Belgian beer glass with our logo on it. It looks neat. Gotta fucking do it. It's the only kind of glass that is good. I was looking for a way to say that you do with it what it is called. What? Tulip. Tulip. Oh, Christ. Anyway, you should get it anyway, regardless of that. Uh-oh, why it's losing his marbles. <laughs> uh, let's turn out the machine here. There we go. There we go. Plug it out. Yeah, try, try the goddamn Patreon. Help us help you. Uh, help us. <laughs> help us help you help us. Thanks for listening. Uh, you can also help us for free by rating and reviewing us, especially on Apple Podcasts. That really uh, really makes us happy. A couple you did recently. Very nice. Appreciate that. Yes, indeed. Curtis, thank you so much for your review. We don't know what we did to lose a single star in between your giving your 17-star review. It's subject line and actually leaving that review, but, you know, <laughs> we'll take we'll take 16 stars. Whatever, for only worth 16, that's fine. That's fine, that's fine. It's more divisible. Yeah. Thank you for joining us on this amazing journey for August. Around, around the, world. the world. You know, we've been to Thailand. Where we saw... Man, I don't even remember. There's been so <laughs> many things. We went to Russia, where we famously heard the Kremlin. We went to... Ecuador. Ecuador, which is, of course, the place where days are always 12 hours long. Uh And now, here in Kenya... We wrap up our journey. We've taken in so many cultures, so many stories. But most importantly... Most importantly, we have finally, through great physical exertion... Three years of August around the world. Augusts around the world. It's like attorneys general. Exactly. Augusts around the world. (laughs) To uh, finally spell out the word Trek. We did it, guys. We did it. All right. So anyway, thanks. We'll be back in September. September. We'll be talking about possibly lizard people or something like that. Uh, Conversely, send us your own unexplained experiences. We have enough. By then, we'll do another listener episode. Oh, yeah. Before we do the lizard thingy, uh, contact at superduperstitches.com is where you can send those. And uh, yeah, thanks. Bye. (laughs) Bye.